0: Welcome
1: to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what happened to them. And this is part of the human spirit that we see regularly on this show. And I am always thrilled to share stories of people who have gone through such incredible circumstances and as a result what happens is they end up with a passion to help others who may have gone through the same thing. Some have overcome extreme poverty and ended up becoming multimillionaires. Some have... experienced um, types of abuses whether it's physical abuse or mental abuse or sexual abuse and they've been able to overcome that and be able to share their story so that others can draw from the things that they use to get through these extreme circumstances. Some have overcome serious depression or disease and now they are able to live free from that fear and free from pain. Some of my guests have Incredible stories of survival, even in war times. So I really, really appreciate all of them. They are all special. They are fighters and they are winners, and they want to share their story and give us tips of how we can too overcome things in our lives that just seem insurmountable at times. Never ever give up hope is now heard in over a hundred and forty countries, and that just shows me that no matter where we are on this globe. The message of hope is one that needs to be shared. So I thank all my guests. I thank all my listeners, because without the listeners, there would be no show. And I thank them that they have made Never Ever Give Up Hope number one in global searches. There is a message that my guests share that we all need to hear. So thank you so much. With me today, I have a survivor. Her name is Sherry Swalwell. Now, she is an author who deals with stories of heartache. Her book, Hope During Heartache, deals with the loss of a child. She also will share about the pain of infertility, miscarriage, stillbirth, and death. Welcome, Sherry.
2: Thank you so much for having me today.
1: Oh, you're very welcome, Sherry. I look forward to what you're going to share with us because this is a subject that certainly a lot of people have had to deal with. Some people have not been able to to get over the heartache and the pain that comes with the loss of a child, and so I know that whatever you share you're going it's going to come from a place not only where you've been but where you can go as a result of it it's not where we've been that matters it's where we're going and where we've been certainly uh, helps us to understand others who may be going through that same thing so I thank you Sherry for taking the time to share your story with us today now your writing career was actually burst out of pain which is not unusual I think that a lot of authors wrote their stories wrote their their self-help books or whatever type of books that memoirs you know that they may write as a result of what happened in their lives so share with us what happened in your life in the years 2006 and then in 2007 things that changed your life and made you aware that you want to share your story with the world
2: well thank you it's really funny because um Back in 2006, I did not consider myself a writer. Um, I had always uh, traveled the path of schooling and college and so forth to work with children. I had wanted to be a child psychologist, but my main heart, my main um, love was to be a wife and a mother. And so I wanted a job where I could stay at home and I could... Be the parent, be the mother to our children and not miss those, those years and those experiences and those memories and instead give them to somebody else. So I um, did a daycare at home and at the same time I did medical transcription. And that was, I knew that that wasn't my life's goal forever, but it was a way for me to be able to stay at home and raise our children so in 2006, we had decided, my husband and I had gotten married in 1999, and we were a little bit older when we got married. And so we had kind of come to the conclusion, the agreement that we would have two kids, and that would be enough for our income, that would be enough for our household, that would that would be wonderful. So by 2006, we had a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and then I had four others that I babysat or watched during the day. And we found out that we were pregnant again. Um, I was ecstatic because, to me, this was just a bonus child. And um, pretty soon, once I told my husband and he got over the initial shock, he also was ecstatic. And so I was thrilled knowing that I got to do this one more time. So I wasn't even through my first trimester yet. And my child, our child, was five years old already in my head. He had celebrated birthdays and Christmases, and holidays, and I had um, envisioned this child already in their first day of kindergarten, and so it was just a wonderful, I, I could not imagine life being any better than what it was. The week that I was to transition into the second trimester, so my 12th week, we figured we were safe, and we started to tell people, so three days shy of the 12-week mark, um, I woke up. And within six hours, our baby had had died, was gone. And I was devastated. Um, Like I said, this child was already five years old in my mind, and I hadn't even gotten to be introduced to it. Um, So that was incredibly difficult. Um, That was December. So that was two weeks before Christmas. And I had gone from being super excited To get to celebrate Christmas with a baby growing inside of me, to completely devastated. Um, January was very difficult. I tend to come into myself. I tend to um, hibernate from other people when when I'm hurt and when I'm um, going through something painful. And so the only person that I even allowed to get anywhere close to me emotionally was my husband. He was the only one that I let in. Everybody else I shut out just because of the pain. I just could not handle the the hurt and the pain. And I just, I didn't want to talk about it. I just, I couldn't.
1: One of the things that I want to ask you is I'm listening to you talk about the pain that you experienced through the miscarriage. And I don't want to put you in a position where this this is going to hurt you. But what, I, what I'm picking up, you know, like basically from what our audience may or may not be hearing as you share that as well. And that is the subject of abortion. So many people from what the ones several that I have talked to do not understand the pain of miscarriage when they can so easily accept abortion. Is it possible that you could address that issue?
2: From my perspective, um, I am pro-life. So I have always said, and, and this is something that I just had a conversation this past weekend about with somebody else, they had three miscarriages. I only had one. And I, was, I made the comment, which was a very wrong comment on my part, um, but I made the comment that I felt as though I grieved harder because I carried the baby versus my husband, who did not grieve the baby, And did not have that intimate connection. Well, I happened to be talking to a man who him and his wife had experienced three miscarriages. And he said, hold on a minute. He says, I can tell you as many or more details about the miscarriages that we experienced than my wife can. He says, just because I did not carry the baby does not mean that I did not grieve as hard or harder. Coming from the angle of loving children and loving life, and the fact that I bonded so closely and so intimately with this child that I have never yet met, that would be the angle that I would approach when talking about abortion. So it would be very hard for me to understand being able to choose to kill a child inside my womb when i know the pain that i felt losing the child inside my womb before i even got to meet it him or her
1: that that's a very good good answer and frankly i'm in the same position as you i i can't comprehend that i think the only way that people who uh, do look at the subject from a different perspective the only way that they do deal with that is they do not see that that child within them as a child
2: and see the minute that we found out we were pregnant like I said I had that child five years old already that child was mm-hmm. alive and growing and as much a part of me and our family as the two children that I kissed goodnight every night
1: so essentially what I'm hearing you say is that once you know you're pregnant and you regard that as a human breathing person and you begin to plan your life and that child's life for the future because it's part of your family correct so the other side of that would be it is just matter. It has nothing more than cells and tissue. And until it is actually birthed, it is not a child. And I know this is a huge subject that could be discussed, you know, from here to kingdom come. But essentially what I was getting at, and you've already answered, is is the emotional part of it. And so what I think you're saying is that when you regard that baby you are carrying as a baby, as a child, then it's a completely different way to deal with it emotionally than if you look at it as just tissue.
2: Absolutely. And it, it was never tissue. Um, I
1: totally hear you. Yes.
2: Yeah. The baby was always a baby.
1: Okay. So that helps my audience understand a little more I believe, the emotion that you were going through. You didn't lose just some matter. You lost your child.
2: I did. And actually, I'm glad that you said that because part of the grieving process for me down the road was I for myself. Everybody grieves differently. And I for myself, I had to name that child. I had to give that child meaning and life for myself in order to um, continue to heal. Because while I think that it was a blessing for me that I was able to lose the baby before I held him in my arms, I think that... I had to, in order to get closure and to be able to move past that, I had to be able to give meaning to that child's life. So now my husband on the other hand, he felt differently than I did because we really truly didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. I happen to believe that it was a boy for many different reasons, Um, but until we get to heaven, we won't know for sure. So I named the child a boy's name and my husband, while he respected my feelings, he chose to not be a part of that and to respect his feelings because he was the father and he has every right to his feelings, just like I have every right to mine. I I gave him the space to not be a part of that. Although, to give him tons of credit, because he was so supportive and so amazing, the following Christmas, because like I said, we lost the baby two weeks before Christmas, the following Christmas, he bought me a ornament to put on the tree, and I wrote the name of the baby on the bottom of the box, and that is the ornament that I put up every single year. I mean, no one else is allowed to touch it. (laughs) That's that's something that I get to do, and and every time I see that, I see and I feel the love that my husband has for me, acknowledging the fact that we have a fourth member of our family, and um, he's just not with us right now.
1: You know, that brings up something else, which is maybe totally out of left field, but I think it will help other people relate to this in another way, and that is adoption. Because we adopted a child and we lost two before, you know, one was a year old and another one was before we ever uh, was able to take him home. And those children, I still see as my children, they were adopted. So it's another way of looking at it that when you have that mother's heart, that parent's heart, that heart that you want that child and you begin to um, create your family around that child, whether adopted or not, it, it's still part of your family. And do you understand where I'm coming from? Oh,
2: absolutely. So maybe,
1: you know, share a little bit of what you might say to the adoptive parent who uh, could have lost a child such as I did, or such as many people have.
2: Actually, in the book, Hope During Heartache, there is a story um, by the name of Shannon, I used only first names on purpose to um, give some privacy, and to allow the the people who contributed to have the ability to be able to share from their heart as much as they wanted. But Shannon's story um, talks like that, or talks about that. They um they dealt with the pain of infertility, her and her husband, first to begin with, and then they were able to start the adoption process, and they were adopting a special needs child. And she goes through all of the emotions and the feelings that you have when you adopt a child. But then to make even worse than you can imagine, their baby died before the adoption became finalized. So they not only dealt with infertility, they only not only dealt with the death of their child, but they dealt with a failed adoption on top of it. So they were hit with some pretty big whammies.
1: Glad to hear that you deal with these issues in your book and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But now take us through, you were you were sharing after Christmas, it was January and February and, and how you were coping with this and then what
2: happened? So we, well I guess I should back up just a titch to make February make a little more sense and that is after I miscarried there were complications. So I miscarried on a Thursday and I ended up in the emergency room on a Saturday night and they had to do a DNC that weekend. So while the the following week, I was physically healing, I hadn't started the emotional healing yet, but I needed help to be able to begin physical healing because the baby just didn't want to finish coming out. So, <clears throat> I had complications due to the miscarriage and then ended up having to, um, so it wasn't just that I lost the baby and the pain of that, but then I had to go through um, the medical procedures on top of it, which it was so difficult waking up. actually. I hadn't had the surgery yet. They had put me up in a room at like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm laying there trying to get to sleep, saying, I really just want to be at home with my kids. I don't want to be here when the baby's gone anyway. And they had me on the maternity ward, and I'm listening to the Brahms lullaby being played every time a baby is born, and it's just ripping my heart out time after time after time. Oh, my
1: goodness. It was awful.
2: So, anyway, so then January and February, in February, it was right after or right after Valentine's Day, my husband and I were watching TV, my kids were, our kids were upstairs, settled in for the night, and he went to go check on them. Well, he got halfway up the stairs, he turned around, and he came back down, and he was sweating profusely, he was pale, he was shaky, he had gone from being healthy and feeling okay to looking like he was on death's door in a matter of 30 seconds. We didn't know what was wrong. So I called the doctor and he's like, oh, it's just the flu. Don't worry about it. Let him go to sleep tonight and that will be fine. Well, the fall before that, so even before we lost the baby, a neighbor of ours went to bed the night before and never woke up in the morning. That was the husband, the father of a family of five. So, for the doctor to tell me he just has the flu, let him go to sleep and he'll be fine. I lost a baby. I, Uh, my neighbors lost her husband. Um, I don't think so. No kidding. So, that was a night where he slept fitfully and I didn't sleep at all. I just literally laid in bed sobbing, asking God to please not take my husband because I had already lost my baby and I couldn't, I couldn't lose him too. So for the next month, the next six weeks or so, we were in and out of the emergency room, in and out of the doctor's office, and the significance of the emergency room is we were with the same people that six weeks prior had helped me. So the sights and the sounds and the smells and the familiarity of the same emergency room doctors that had helped me finish the process of the miscarriage that never wanted to finish, are now helping me with my husband, but he was undiagnosed, so we had no idea what was wrong with him. my word. What was going to happen if he was going to get better, we knew nothing. So from February, he didn't get a diagnosis until May. He lost 45 pounds from February until the end of March. And wow. we, went into the, um, we went into the doctor's office on March 31st, and I begged them to admit him to the hospital because we needed answers. I needed to know what was wrong, and I needed to know if he was going to be okay. Uh-huh. So I had to be strong for him. At this point, I'd lost my baby. I'd lost my husband physically, emotionally, and mentally because he was just trying to survive. I have two other kids at home. I have the daycare children that I'm trying to deal with. Uh And I was just at the end of my rope. I literally felt like I had lost everyone. I felt like I had no one left and that everyone had been taken away from me. And I remember driving home that night from the hospital after having been strong for him for hours and just sobbing and just saying to God, I just, I give him to you. I surrender this completely because I don't know what else to do. I can either choose to trust you or I can choose to turn away from you. And I'm choosing to trust you. But I also knew that the only way that I would be able to survive what we were going through was if I completely trusted God with the outcome.
1: And that was when you were in, still in the hospital with him?
2: That, yeah, that was when he was in the hospital in March. And then we finally found out in May that he had autoimmune disorder and he had Hashimoto's, which is you fluctuate between hypertensive and hy- uh, hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism. Okay. He fluctuated every week, which is unheard of. You just don't do that. He, one week he would be super slow. He'd have the hypo. The next week he'd be as though... Every, you know, cylinder in his body Uh ramped up back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that took such a toll on his body. It was unbelievable. Were they able
1: to correct that?
2: It is 10, 11 years later now, and he still has autoimmune issues and he still has to get checked regularly. But I would say for the most part, with some blips here and there, he's, he's, or euthyroid, which is, um pretty much normal and that is all God's healing because they had told us first they told him that he needed to have surgery and have his thyroid removed and he just didn't feel comfortable doing that and I'm glad he didn't because like I said he was able to go back to euthyroid, thyroid which is unheard of when because usually if you're hyper for too long it burns out right and his did not we're still dealing with it he's still not a hundred percent but he's so much better than he was
1: And as you said, that takes a toll on everybody, not just him and you, but also the children and watching their father suffer and not understanding why he's not there for
2: them. So there were a lot of
1: emotions.
2: Oh, yes. Well, he went from being an active involved, we did everything together as a family of four, to he's in bed and we're sitting out in the living room watching movies because we need to be quiet. There was a lot of movie watching and a lot of reading books that six to eight months because that was all we could do it was Shh, you need to be quiet daddy's sleeping Shh, we need to be quiet why isn't dad coming well because he doesn't feel good why isn't this happening well because he doesn't feel good yeah it was a complete 180 degree turn for our family
1: now looking back in hindsight what do you think your children gained
2: even though we had a really good marriage i'm a proactive person In my opinion, I would much rather work hard at keeping something great Then have to work hard at fixing a problem because I neglected it. Because even though my kids were six and three, again, I'm a proactive person. So in my eye, I'm thinking, well, before I know it, they're going to be into all these activities and we're going to be in all these different directions. And I want us to keep a strong bond. I want us to have a strong family. And I'll tell you what, we have a strong family. My kids have more empathy for other people than you can imagine. And We stick together as a family. I mean, when there's a problem, we work together and solve it together. And our marriage, it was great before, but I'd say it's even better. I mean, it's just on such a deeper level because we had to choose to fight together his disease instead of fighting each other. And never once... In the 11 years that we've been dealing with this, did I ever get angry with him or did he ever get angry with me? It was always, we're fighting together, this thing that's attacking your body.
1: That's such an incredible point because I think that's a lot of times where marriages will fall apart. For example, one that comes to mind is when a family loses a child.
2: You I was know, just going to say that.
1: Yes, like an accident or or something like that. Have you any of the stories in your books, do they deal with, with that kind of scenario?
2: Well, actually, um, Shannon's story, the one that I told you about, they ended up getting divorced. I think everybody else, yeah, I think everybody else that was in the... That shared their story they've all stayed together but that was one of my biggest fears when we lost the baby I remember thinking that I was a clingy wife to begin with I always joked around and said that I was saran wrap and um, that I didn't want to be saran wrap I wanted to try really hard not to but that was my biggest fear was that when we lost the baby it was so devastating to me and while my husband hurt too He's a different personality type than I am. He's less emotional. He is more reserved. He keeps his feelings to himself. And so I remember saying to him in December and in January, I don't want this to cause a problem in our marriage because I'm grieving and you're grieving differently. I don't want us to get to be a statistic. I don't want us to get a divorce. I want to make sure that we stay strong and that we stay together. It was so important to me to keep our family strong and to 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 stay a family unit.
1: So let's fast forward a little bit here and talk about why you started writing the book, what your goal was, and what has come as a result of that.
2: The book was actually born out of anger. That summer, when the baby was supposed to be born, I was dealing with a sick husband who couldn't hardly get out of bed. I mean, he he functioned to the extent that that he was able to go to work, but aside from that, that summer, he basically just had to recover. He just, his body needed time. So I'm dealing with a sick husband. I'm dealing with a job change. I'm dealing with, um, the stress of trying to be a single parent but not a single parent because he's still there and he's still alive. But I'm the one that has to step up to the plate. Plus, I'm dealing with the grief of the upcoming, what should be the birthday of our third child. So I was angry. There was a lot of anger going on and a lot of, I guess I was in the anger stage of the grief process. And I remember looking because I'm, I'm a reader. I love to read. And so I wanted to find a book out there that would offer me hope. I wanted a book that wasn't going to give me statistics, wasn't going to tell me all the health things and all the medical stuff. I didn't want facts. I wanted stories. I wanted personalized stories that told me I would one day smile again because I was not smiling. And so I looked all over the place and I found one book that, that quote unquote did that. But when I finished reading that book, I was angrier because everybody <laughs> in the book was angry. And I'm like, that is not helping me. I'm already angry. I don't need to read about other people's anger. I want hope. And so I will write this book if nobody else will. And then I left it. That was in 2007. 2009, he blessed our family with a bonus blessing. We, It was, I think, a year after we... Yeah, it was a year after we lost our baby we got pregnant again and so 2 years after our, the baby that we lost would have been born July 7th of 2007 and our bonus blessing was born July 22nd 2009. <laughs> and in 2 years after that so God gave me 2 years to enjoy a family of 5 which was very busy with a full-time medical transcription career and in 2011 I uh, I had kept a diary for my whole entire life, so for me, um, writing was just a form of um, therapy. It was just a form of getting it out, getting it on paper. So that it's not just stuck inside of me. So I never expected anybody to see this quote-unquote book that I was writing. It was really just a way for me to get my feelings out. So in 2011, I finished the book. My husband, in his love, he knew that I'm a very family-oriented person. And I would never go to a writer's conference on my own. Because I would never leave my family for that long. He packed the whole family up. Took time off of work drove us to the mm. Writers Conference, took care of the kids the whole entire time so that I could go to this conference, and but yet come back to them at, at night. And um, it was during that conference that I actually met some other people who contributed to the book as well. Seven years later, Hope During Heartache was born. It was published.
1: <laughs> and how did that make you feel?
2: Wonderful.
1: <laughs> now, you have another book out too,
2: don't you? Yes, I have um, several books. Actually, I I started writing blogs twice a week. Um, starting well, let's see. So I went to the writers conference in 2012, I believe. So I think it was around 2013. I started the I started a, a weekly blog or twice weekly blog, Mondays and Thursdays. And um, I take those blogs and I put them into little books, and they all have different topics. So. Um, Part of the journey of our family has been, I, I, 2015, January, the the first Monday that the kids went back to school, I got an email from my medical transcription boss that in 30 days I'd be without a job completely. So I had 30 days to find another job. But um, so I have a whole series within that series talking about financial issues and job loss. And um, then there's other ones that are just about relationships, connections. Um, I have a whole five book series on parenting. Um, and it's really, honestly, those those books are just made up of blogs that are me talking about our life and the relationship that I have with God as a result of, of our life and just doing life. So really, it's my way of sitting down and having a cup of coffee with a friend and just sharing life. That's what those books are all about.
1: You're, you're writing heart to heart.
2: Exactly. In fact, the, the books are called Spoken from the Heart. Oh, perfect.
1: Anything else you want to share in conclusion that you think that people might want to to hear any more about your story or, or any tips that you have as far as getting through those kind of losses? Anything that you want to share in conclusion?
2: Well, I guess what I would... What I would encourage people with the most is that bad things happen in life. I mean, life is hard. Life is really hard. So regardless of what you're dealing with, regardless of what the issue is that you are dealing with, everyone has a choice. We can either choose to harden our hearts and we can choose to to do it on our own or we can choose to trust. Um, And for me, for me personally... I trust in God. I trust that God has a plan and I would much rather do hard his way than try to do easy or hard my way because I know for myself, I don't have the answers and I know enough about myself that I trust that his plan is better than my plan. So for me, that is what, that is what has worked the best. Um, but everyone has a choice. Everyone has a choice in life to either harden their hearts and just get by or continue to to keep them soft and continue to love and continue to to trust.
1: I really appreciate that because I think that is one of the basic principles of this show and that is when when you go through something and you share it with other people it is a heart softening and not a heart hearting moment because things that happen to us can make or break us as as we all know and taking what the losses, the experiences, the negativities that we've had to endure in this life and turning them into not only something positive in our own life, but also to help someone else who may be going through something similar makes your heart soft. It makes it pliable. It makes it open to other people and their stories. And that's exactly what you have done in one of your in in your book hope during heartache was share other people's stories. And so you get many perspectives. And I know that there are people who will and can really relate with this. And so I thank you not only for sharing what you did today, but also let's pick up a copy of her book. On the show notes will be all the places where it will be available. It sounds to me like it would be a great Christmas gift for somebody who has had a really rough year and have, has had to deal with heartache
2: i mean there there is sadness because when you're dealing with death and infertility and stillbirth obviously there's sadness but there is instead of instead of the stories making you angry or instead of the stories continuing to just make you sad there is that element of hope with each and every one, and each story is so personal and so different and so unique, but yet each story offers hope, and it's all told from the individual people's own words. I didn't interview them and write the, the story so okay. that it's my voice. Okay. They right. wrote them themselves, right. Right. but yet each story has that element of hope in it.
1: Oh, that sounds awesome. Thank you so much Sherry for sharing with us today and we want to stay connected of course and anybody that wants to connect with you all that information will be there so that they can do that. You never know whose heart you are going to touch when you share your story so I thank you so much Sherry for being part of Never Ever Give Up Hope.